Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a, a founder, a founder from South Africa. So I think that we're going to learn quite a bit, you know, how he ended up landing in San Francisco and and how he's been operating, you know, a company where the market, you know, has been evolving, where it had hype, it didn't have hype. You know, interesting, you know, to see how he was able to really face the environment, you know, when it comes to fundraising. But I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Michael Wynn. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So originally from South Africa, and I know that you later moved to Kenya, but how was life growing up there? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I lived in South Africa from being, obviously being born until I was about 12 years old. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting about that question is like being able to compare. I lived in South Africa, uh, I lived in Kenya and the, the Netherlands are completely different countries, all countries with their own yeah, reasons why they're beautiful countries. Um, but yeah, very advantaged to have been uh, to live around the world and experience completely different cultures um, as, a, as a child. And how do you think that probably shaped up your personality and, and your perspective? You know, I think one, one thing that gave me is um, a, an ability to be good with change. I remember moving, when I was 12 years old, moved to Kenya. That was a fairly traumatic move for a 12-year-old. I left a lot behind, left my friends behind, the things I was doing behind. And that was uh, was difficult. Um, but you face these difficult things and they make you stronger. And so not now as a somebody that's moved around the world a lot, I've lived in about six countries, um, I actually don't just um, enjoy change, I seek it. I'm actually, I, re I really enjoy the new challenges that you get. And so that whether that's <laughs> going or moving to new countries in the future or uh, seeking new jobs in different kinds of um, markets, I, I actually really appreciate the change. And that's been actually very useful being a founder because your job is changing all the time. Every year, I can very comfortably say I've had a different job. I've had to learn new skills. And having moved around from the beginning of my life, I think that set me up quite well. And was anyone in your family also an entrepreneur? Um, no, actually, my uh, my dad has worked for the same company for over forty years, um, so completely the opposite. Um, it, within my first two years of my of my job, my my professional life, I'd worked at more companies than he had. Um, I would say, funny enough, my father-in-law is is an entrepreneur. 
So I've learned a few skills from him. Very cool. So this love for math and economics, what did, where did this come from? Yeah, I don't know. I, my, my mom has told me ever since I was a child, I just loved numbers. I'd go to the store and I'd calculate what the bill was going to be as she was putting stuff in the trolley. Um, and so math has always been something I've, I've really enjoyed pursuing. I did it um, all the way up through college at four years of it. And actually, that's funny enough where uh, I really got to know my two co-founders. So I've joined a boy with three co-founders, all from South Africa, all went to the same college together. And all of us did math throughout our whole time there. Um, John O'Nick did computer science and math. I did economics and math, um, which has turned out to be rather complementary as we bought a technology business. Very nice. And obviously, after the um, after you graduated, you did a little bit of banking, which uh, doesn't sound very challenging. So that's probably why you didn't last it long there. And then you did Google. So what did you learn, you know, like from from being in a company like Google? Because I think that that the um, you know the people that typically go there and work there, they're, it really shapes the the way they think about things, the way they think about problems. So how how would you say that? that shaped you and then also how how did that trigger your entrepreneurial you know mindset yeah i mean obviously google is a, a wonderful place to, to to work in your career um especially earlier on um the what what's amazing about google is there's just so many um great people i came from a bank where um it was very easy to be a high flyer but you go to google and there's just everyone is <laughs> better educated and smarter than you are. Um, so it was, it was a great place to kind of just transition my, my career. I started banking. I was in the sales strategy side um, using my economic and math, math background. When I went to Google, I actually ended up doing an account manager. So I was going into sales. And so it was my first sales gig as in, in my career. And um, I was able to learn a lot really quickly because Google is just a machine. They, have, they hire a lot of people. They train them up really fast. And um, they've got a really great system to help people learn and get mentored. And um, so it was, a, it was a great place to work. I worked there for about two and a half years. And the only reason you'd leave a job like that was because you wanted to start something yourself. Of course, of course. And obviously, when you went at it and, and you started, you know, like the, the business, you know, I want to ask you, because obviously before you got started with Drone Deploy, I mean, Obviously, there's an interesting founding story there, and you know I'd like to to touch on that. But I'm sure that when you left Google and when you left, you know, and gave your your notice, you know, perhaps there was three key takeaways that you really learned with Google that you knew that you were absolutely going to implement those three key insights or takeaways with with this new business. What what would those be? Yeah. Uh, um. I mean, I think Google's got a great set of, like, I think you've got a 10 tenets of like, what they hold to be true. And there's great wisdom in them. Um, and they enable, a, it, they enable a great business. And I think that's, that's a key thing that I've, I've brought with me to Drone Deploy is if you build a great product, a truly great product, it makes the rest of your business a lot easier. It's easier to market. It's easier to sell. It's easier to support. Build a great business. It will help you scale. And um, so it's like an essential thing. And we put that forward at Drone Deploy. We have invested a ton in products. We have the best products in the market. We've got the biggest engineering team. And that enables us to scale faster and to um, sell faster. And to, and the product does a lot of marketing work for us as well. So that's a, that's a key learning. In, in that, there was, there's two learnings that I took away from Google. One, 
to enable that. One is put the user first. Obviously, customer focus, everyone talks about that, but truly putting the customer first, all else will follow. And the other thing is uh, that I learned, which is actually very hard to do, is just to focus on simplifying and simplicity. The more you can simplify experiences, both for your customers and for your employees, um, the more they can focus on what's really important in creating value. Yeah. And then obviously the, the founding story of Drone Deploy. So tell us about like how the idea, you know, comes, you know, knocking and how you go about like in the incubation of it, you know, the, the, the bringing it to life and, and obviously, you know, like giving your notice at Google. Yes, I've been flying drones from about, well, more seriously from about 2010. Actually, I used my first bank bonus to buy myself a decent drone. And back then, you had to build the whole thing yourself. It was just a transition with lithium-ion, lithium-polymer batteries that enabled them to fly a reasonable amounts of time without having a gas engine. It was really early on in that market. Um, in fact, quadcopters, people think about drones today as quadcopters. They didn't really exist. They were just being invented at that moment. Um, so anyway, we, I, I pursued a passion of, um, of flights. I was flying these RC helicopters. And um, eventually I got in contact um, with a bunch of um, game rangers, people in security for uh, essentially the, the wildlife of South Africa. We've got a very large problem in South Africa with rhino poaching. And um, actually over th at the time, I don't think it's got much better yet, but at the time over three rhinos were being killed every day. And they're an endangered species. And South Africa's got the world's largest population of, of rhinos. And it was very difficult to secure these rhinos over huge tracts of land. Uh, the Kruger Park, which is the largest wildlife sanctuary in South Africa, is bigger than Israel. And there were only about 500 people on the security side there for the huge tracts of land. And um, as I was engaging with these people working in security in that park, it became clear. It's like, hey, I was flying RC helicopters. Um, drones could be really valuable. It would enable them to get eyes in the sky very cheaply, very efficiently and be able to see what's going on on the ground. So they'll be able to see the wildlife, see the rhinos, be able to identify uh, poachers that shouldn't be in the park at night. And that'll be rather helpful. Equip them with a thermal camera, would enable to, for them to see the unseen. Um, and so as a founding team, this is before we started Drone Deploy, we identified that need. We started going down that path and we identified that somebody just needs to build software to make this technology accessible and productive to a normal person. At the time, the hardware was being worked on. There were lots of hardware companies, but no one was making simple software that made drones into uh, industrial tools. And um, so we pursued that for a while. We actually learned it was actually incredibly challenging uh, to solve that problem. The first thing we needed to do was to teach the rangers how to use Windows laptops before they could use a drone. And uh, eventually we stopped that. And uh, about a year later, we found a drone deploy with that intention of just making drones simple tools, make it a mobile-first product. Um, that we could deploy across industries. And yeah, seven years later, uh, we our software is managing over a million flights a year all over the world in about 200 countries across pretty much every industry under the sun, construction, mining, energy, agriculture, enabling our customers to, to use drones in a simple and productive way. Okay. So then, so then how did you... You know, really convince you know the the co-founders, you know Nicholas <laughs> and Jonah, you know, to really you know jump on this because it's a quite a leap of faith too, no? Because it's a 
here you guys are, 2013, you know, this is a market that almost doesn't exist. You know, the commercial drones, you know, are not even legal. So, so how do you guys really get aligned to, to, to make that leap of faith? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in hindsight, we, feel, we think we were crazy back then. Um, as a founding team, we always had a passion for starting a company. And um, we'd looked at many projects. We'd involved in some hobby startups on the side. And actually, we had this intent that when we started a startup, we would actually spend every Friday, kind of the Google 20% time, on, on drones and figuring out how to build a drone company. We thought it was too early initially. And um, eventually, uh, we, we all grew that passion, particularly Jono and myself. We like to fly them. I actually gave both of them. I was the only one with a real job. They were doing their PhDs. I gave both of them a drone and they were flying them. And they, yeah, we just got into a position. We thought, hey, we're, we're experts in this technology that's inevitable. In the long run, there are going to be robots on every industrial site. And some of them are going to be flying. Some of them are going to be driving. Some will be capturing data. Some will be taking actions. And behind all of them will need to be software that orchestrates those robots. And we have the opportunity to start right at the beginning and build a company that could do that and eventually win that market. And so we started with the grand ambition, a little bit of naivety. And uh, fortunately, we got into AngelPad in San Francisco. So we were all in Europe at the time. We moved over to San Francisco, started the company. And yeah, we started a really long journey. And it took, it took a long time to really figure out uh, and to experience the market growing because we were, right, we, were, we were here right at the birth of it. So, so for example, like here with Angel Hack, I mean, what was the, you know, like how those pictures of the before and after when you're when we're talking about like plastic surgery. So, what was that the the before <laughs> and after of of being on Angel Hack and then coming out of Angel Hack? Wow, um, totally. Uh, yeah, I recommend a good incubator to anyone. Angel Pad in particular is was great for us. There were there were twelve companies in an office all together experiencing the early stages of a startup and um, being in that community with Tomas, the founder who really drives the company's hardest. You work for three months, uh, 100 to 120 hours a week, just driving your business forward, really getting a better understanding of the problem you're solving. And I think an interesting thing that Tomas makes you do is just stop working in products and focus entirely on customers and the business need in the market. And so we spent a long time talking to people, trying to figure out what the future of the software would look like. And from talking to the early experts in drones, we were able to identify, look, we just needed to build software that was simple, um, that supported drone flight, and then was a platform for all the data that was going to be created. And um, it really crystallized what that market was, what the problem we were solving, and how best to go after that. And it became a platform for the next seven years of growth for us. So, so what ended up being the business model for the people that are listening? Yeah, so we build software that's a subscription product. It's a SaaS model. Um, starts from about a thousand bucks a year uh, for a single user. Um, the biggest customer is paying seven figures for the software. Um, and I think one thing that's interesting that we learned early on is that the flight component of the software is just the the starting point. It's the 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 top of the funnel, and we should try and build great software there that is accessible to everyone. Because flying a drone is just the starting point. It's not enough on its own. Um, what you need is a full backend to process that data, to make that data useful. 
to to businesses, and that's what we're going to monetize. So we have the um, the most popular flight app uh, for commercial drones, and it's free, and it's it's great. We invest a lot of money on that free product, and it's the basis for everything that comes after it, and it's a really big driver of the marketing for us that we have this the strongest flight platform, and it's it creates the bedrock for everything that comes after it. You know, it's, it's, it's very interesting, you know, obviously, you know, the story here and, and it reminds me to, to, you know, certain stories that I have experienced myself as an operator too, because when you're an entrepreneur, not only you're dealing with the uncertainty of building a business, but when you're also part of a new industry that is forming, you're also dealing with, with double the uncertainty because of also, you know, like the potential regulations and, you know, how those new regulatory frameworks apply to your business. So what kind of challenges did you did you experience in building a company like this, you know, given the timing as well? Mm, totally. There have been lots of challenges. I think that the earliest challenge, the, I think for many startups, the, the hardest part is right in the beginning as you're getting this thing started. And what you're doing is you're building momentum. And that momentum builds up over time and it carries you through. And you just got to keep that momentum up. And right in the beginning, it was really hard because we were trying to build drone software, but to actually run the software you needed a drone that and you couldn't just buy a drone off the shelf you had to build it yourself and so our first employees actually had to glue uh drones together had to set them up um and that was just a, a tax on the business and it required it just a bunch of work that needed to happen to get us to the next stage and we were really fortunate it took about two years but in 2015 the market really opened with the um both 3DR and DJI were fighting for dominance at that time. You could actually use um, the published SDKs, and so we could transition to just building software. But right in the beginning, we needed to actually build the drone hardware, which was um, yeah, an expensive part of the business. It just it took a lot of time. It was it took away focus. If we did it again, we would love to find a way for us to not have done that. Um, so those were some challenges early on. Another challenge, actually a huge challenge, was that even given you had a drone that had a camera, it worked with an SDK, you had the right software, it was not yet completely legal to fly a drone commercially. And that only came in August of 2016, about three years after we started. So how do you build a company when the product that you're building is not yet, it's in a legal gray area? And so that was a challenge for us. Initially, one of the features, things that happened for us is we, of course, weren't flying the drones, but we built software to make these drones safe tools. And so we just focused really on the SMB market because large companies weren't going to adopt technology that was not yet in a legal, uh, completely legal. And uh, <clears throat> it turned out that there were some disadvantages to starting an SMB, but there's a whole ton of advantages too. We got the most scale, the quickest. We learned the most from our customers who were actually deploying drones to the field. And those companies that focused just on big companies that, that couldn't really deploy drones or had to jump through massive legal legal uh, processes to fly drones just couldn't scale up in the same way our customers could. And uh, so we had an accelerated learning path uh, that has really helped in the long run. And and how much capital have you guys raised today? Uh, I think we've raised about $95 million. Very nice. And obviously, the um, the fundraising journey for you guys has been also quite interesting because this this market kind of like you know had the hype then lost the hype then got the hype back back again so how do you deal you know like in in an environment like that where you know all of a sudden investors are listening and then all of a sudden you know like uh, you know basically the investors go away and they don't continue to reply to your emails or things like that like how, yeah. how, how <laughs> tell us about this 
it's been a roller coaster. Um, as we started the company, there was no hype, and, and we, to the degree we were concerned about even starting it. Uh, but luckily, during AngelPad, the hype began to form. There was a company called Airware, which is very early in the market, and they pushed really hard. And just as we were getting to AngelPad Demo Day, maybe the week before, uh, Airware raised $10 million Series A, and I think it was from Andreessen at the time. And when I first heard that, I was like, oh, my God, is Airware going to crush us? Are they going to build everything we wanted to build? And um, that was kind of a first lesson, understanding competition. Actually, that was the best thing that ever happened to us at Drone Deploy, Airware Raising. They went out to all the big VC funds. They explained the future of drones. And obviously, only one VC could invest, or a few. And, but there was a ton of appetite was built. So we were very fortunate. As we came out of Demo Day, um, that market had just started. Um, and I think we got our first term sheet within three days. Um, so it was really exciting up front. As we went through the Series A and the Series B, just as drones were becoming legal, uh, we were the only software bet in the market, pure play software. And so we got the advantage of a market that was building hype. But it was one of these stories where it's easy to get hyped about something that's just on the cusp of happening. But when it does happen, it's not quite as exciting as people thought. And so as the market opened up and became legal, uh, people realized, hey, this is a new product. It's a new market. It's going to take time. These things don't happen overnight. We're not going to transform every business with flying robots in the year 2016. And so from 2016, the hype started dying down and it got in a hype cycle. We started going on the, the downward curve. So as we started to raise our Series C in 2018, the market was like, oh, there was uh, what Airware had just uh, was just uh, in the process of um, of failing as a company. Uh, the investors knew that a lot of money had been spent by a bunch of companies not really getting that much traction. And so things became difficult for us, even though our metrics were strong and we were the strongest in the market. Um, it was still a challenge for us. Um, luckily, we found great investors that really understood the value that we could provide. So we raised a good Series C. Um, but it was a much tougher round. And as we went into doing our Series D, I think in last year, we we're fortunate that the market has started to get into that plateau of productivity. Um, and the venture investors could see, like, hey, this, it, there's a clear winner here. And that helped us. If not, the, the market may not be as hyped as it was. As a market leader, there's always going to be a bit of hype around you, and that really helped. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, one thing that really comes to mind is that typically investors, they have already, like, their thesis formed. You know, like, there's, like, history, you know, benchmarks that they use when they're looking at uh, companies to make an investment. But how did it work for you guys when the market, you know, like, they don't really have that much history for them to really form, you know, their thesis and, and, and have them be as robust? before making a bet. How did that work in your case? Mm, um, in terms of like expectations and totally. so forth. I'm just thinking back to our Series A. Like the benchmark now is you should have, when you do a Series A as a SaaS company, about a million dollars of, of ARR. We were, we were not even a tenth of that. Um, we were raising before it was legal. And we were raising from a company, Emergence, which is yeah, fairly data-oriented as a Series A investor. Um, and so, yeah, there's that's there's those choices. As a company, you're generally fundraising on your strengths. Like what are the things that your company is, that is unique in your company uh, that tells a great story about how you'll create great value in the future? And at that moment in time, the story was broadly about, think about this huge market in the long run. 
industrial robots are going to be on every job site, every construction site, every farm, every mine. And who's going to power those robots? And just building that story, that vision about being that software that can do that. And being the only software-oriented and cloud-oriented company in our space, I think it became, um, I wouldn't say obvious, but it was a, a leap of faith um, that our earliest investors could make. Saying, okay, Drone Deploy has a really good shot in being a leader in what is inevitably going to become a giant market. So even though we didn't have the data to back us, we actually had the great market story. We'd proven ourselves as a team and we had a product, a rather sophisticated product, and we actually were able to give what um, our investors still tell us is the best demo that they've ever seen, uh, flying a drone over their building and producing real-time uh, real measurable data from that drone, uh, from that drone flight. And what about, what about the team? How many, how many people are you guys right now? We're about 140, in, mostly in San Francisco. Wow. And then how, how did you go about building the team i mean for a, for a company like this like what were like how did it gradually like uh, progress in terms of like jumping from one perhaps department or maybe like one set of skill sets to to another yeah you know what? it's interesting that changes over time um there's a saying that i love in the startup world and i'm, I'm sure it applies in many places is what got you here is not going to get you there and every stage of your company um you need to do different things and that stage could be every kind of fundraising milestone. It could be every doubling of revenue, every doubling of employees. You actually adopt fundamentally different, um, you have different needs. And so you can imagine building a team early on. We actually built a team of a set of smart journalists, a group of hustlers that could figure things out and get things done. Um, it was an early market. We needed everyone on the team to be able to be agile and smart and enjoy the challenge of figuring out how to grow in a new market. Um, and so they were just generous. But now as a company, we've focused entirely on specialists. We're looking for the best salespeople that just do sales, and the best uh, engineers that just do can focus on just getting one thing, being experts in the one thing that they do. Um, so that might be a bit of an ex there's still obviously an amount of generalist knowledge that's, that's really highly valuable to be able to understand the context. But that focus on having that that kind of the generalist hustlers to now having more of the, the, the specialist operators has completely changed. And one thing that's been super exciting as a company is seeing those early employees, uh, those generalist hustlers, go and found their own companies. And so we've got at least three companies out of our former employees, those first 15 employees that um, are doing really exciting things and doing really well. And where do you think that the that this market is is really going as a whole? Well, um, well, every year we see greater adoption of drone technology um, across all industries. I think the exciting thing that we're seeing right now and in, in this moment is the the scaled adoption. It's taken a few years, but now we actually have our first company with over a thousand drones uh, operating in their fleet. So that actually makes them the largest commercial aircraft fleet in America, potentially in the world. More, they want more drones than American Airlines has planes. Um, so we're seeing true scale. So that's that's a story of 2020. Um, there's a story. Um, the longer term story is that robots are infiltrating job sites, and while we're seeing drones, flying drones is the first ubiquitous kind of industrial robot that is mobile. Um, 
we expect to see um, Ground Rovers in the future. We're seeing exciting things from Boston Dynamics. It's still in the early markets, but there's yeah. some amazing technology that will be great platforms to capture data. Uh, we're seeing cool companies like Built Robotics um, and Bear Flag Robotics in the ag space building tractors and earth movers that are completely robotic and self-driving. And so we, as a company, we're very um, excited to see the hardware continue to evolve to be able to do more things. And uh, we're excited about the opportunity for the software to orchestrate all the data collection and in the long run, all the actions that are, being, that are um, happening on industrial job sites. Got it. I mean, data collection. I mean, nothing like being able to make informed decisions. So um, totally exactly. get that. So, Mike, so I guess if we had, you know, imagine you had like this superpower where you were able to go back in time and have a chat with your younger self. Maybe like that younger Mike that was thinking about giving the notice at Google and, and envisioning like creating a business. I mean, knowing what you know now, because you've been at it now for, for a while with, 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 with this company. I mean, if you could go back in time before you even launched Drone Deploy and, and, and you could tell yourself or give yourself one piece of business advice before launching a business, what would that be and why? Mm. I'm going to kind of cheat on that question. Um, I've been listening to this podcast by uh, Naval Ravikant. Um, he's actually got two of them. And I would suggest like just consume that information. There's so much great information out there, like uh, nuggets of wisdom from that is that is just available to startups. I would say in 2013 there were some great resources. I remember reading Four Steps to the Epiphany, Lean Startup, all those books. There's just even more great content out there to better understand how to build a startup. What's important? What's how how to understand markets and customers and competitors. Um, and I would just go say go back and just try and really internalize that wisdom that others have gone ahead before you and figured out um, because that would that would save a bunch of time as you, we have to look as we probably relearn things that uh, um, that potentially we could have just learned from others even faster um, than we did back in 2013. Of course no need to reinvent the wheel so I can, exactly. I, can, I can totally get that, Mike. So for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Well, before I did, I was just going to say one of these re those resources is your podcast. So, and then I, I've listened to a couple of them. And there's some great information out there for well, any, you, any founder. Um, anyway, to get hold of me, I mean, just follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm getting pretty active on that. Uh, direct message me. I'm uh, at Mike Wynn, M-I-K-E, and then Wynn with two N's. Um, love to love to communicate with any any founder that's that's out there that's that's in a new market that's in the robotics market um aero data market uh would love to chat amazing well mike thank you so much for being on the deal maker show today uh thanks for having me really appreciate it if you like the show make sure that you hit that subscribe button if you could leave a review as well that would be fantastic and if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. 
You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.